Lesson 9 for August 24 through to 30, Ministry in the New Testament Church. Sabbath afternoon, August 24. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that in these lessons we're learning more about what Jesus said our life should be like in relation to the people around us. We know that we have the commission to take the gospel to all the world, but we also have the commission through Jesus' words in various chapters in the Gospels that we are to be of service as well. We pray that as we open your word this week that we may find individually what you have in store for us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's read that again, James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The verses best known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, are among the best known in the Bible, at least by Christians. Let's read those. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, and saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The texts often have been described as our mission statement and have been the inspiration for all kinds of mission and evangelistic projects. Indeed, inspired by these texts, Christians have gone all over the world, sometimes at great personal cost, in order to spread the gospel. And what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? To make disciples, to baptise, and to teach people to observe all things that I have commanded you. And as we've seen, so much of what Jesus commanded us has to do with taking care of those in need, those hurting, those who are unable to take care of themselves. As such, we need to remember that these instructions to Jesus' first disciples were not so much a new assignment, something that they hadn't heard or seen before, but more a continuation of the mission Jesus already had been working among them. This aspect of Jesus' teaching can be seen clearly in the lives of the new church community as part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Sunday, August 25, A New Kind of Community After Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 
The group of believers grew rapidly and created the early church, a new kind of community among the followers of Jesus and initially led by his original disciples. However, this new community was not just something that they made up among themselves. Rather, it was built on the teachings and ministry of Jesus and drew on the long history of the Hebrew Scriptures and their prophets. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. What do you identify as the key elements of these descriptions of the early church community? Acts 2, beginning at verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any one had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. While it seems the Israelites had failed to ever fully live out the blueprint for a just and generous society, the early church community took seriously the instruction of Deuteronomy 15.4 that there need be no poor people among you. One of the practical expressions of their faith was sharing their material resources, even selling land and contributing the funds raised, as we see in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 5, verse 2. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any one had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet, to meet the needs of their fellow believers, as well as to be a blessing to those outside the fledgling community, particularly through the ministry 
of healing, as we read in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And chapter 5, verse 2. Sorry, verse 12 to 16. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Yet this community was not a utopian society by any stretch of the imagination. As the number of believers increased, tensions grew about the administration of these resources, particularly in relation to the daily distribution of food to the widows, as we read in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The disciples, who were the natural leaders of the group, wanted to focus on preaching the gospel. In order to deal with the situation at hand, they needed to do some reorganizing. Thus, seven people were appointed to focus on the practical matters of the church community. This was perhaps the first recognition of the different ministries and abilities to be exercised in the church. At the same time, it demonstrated the importance of practical ministry for the church's life and witness. As we read in Acts of the Apostles, page 95, the same principles of piety and justice that were to guide the rulers among God's people in the time of Moses and David were also to be followed by those given the oversight of the newly organized Church of God in the Gospel Dispensation. End of quote. So to finish today, try to envision what it must have been like in that early community. 
How can we reflect these same principles today? Monday, August 26, Dorcas's Ministry and Witness As the church began to spread, as Jesus predicted, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1 verse 8, new believers took up the faith and ministry of Jesus. Among these was Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, in the city of Joppa. She obviously took seriously Jesus' particular instruction that when clothing the naked, she was doing it for Jesus himself. We read Matthew 25, verses 38 to 40. When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it. To me. Question Read the description of Dorcas and her ministry in Acts 9, verse 36. How might your life and ministry be described in a similar format to this verse? How would you like to be described? Acts 9, verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. It seems that Dorcas's ministry was such that the description of her as a disciple in Acts 9.36 and her faithfulness, energy and focus on others were recognised even beyond her hometown. Peter was visiting the nearby city of Lydda, and the people of Joppa asked him to come in response to Dorcas's untimely death, as we read in Acts 9, verses 37 to 41. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. On his arrival in Joppa, Peter was met by many of the people Dorcas had helped through her work for the poor. They showed him the clothes that she had made and undoubtedly told him many stories of how she had helped them and others. That Peter then prayed for Dorcas and God returned her to life is, of course, no guarantee that life will always work out well for those who devote their lives to serving others. After all, Dorcas had already suffered illness and death. And Stephen, one of those first deacons appointed to minister to the widows in the church, 
also had become the first martyr, as we read in Acts 7, verses 54 to 60. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen, as he was calling out on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A life of service is not a smooth path. At times it could even be the rougher road. However, in this story, God used the recognition of his love and power in both Dorcas's life and death to make a strong impact on the people of Joppa. Acts 9.42 reads, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed the Lord. And so to finish the day, if you were to pass away, would your contribution be mourned and missed like the ministry of Dorcas was remembered and mourned? How can we leave a better legacy of service? What practical skills do you have, such as Dorcas's skills of making garments that you might use in service to others? Tuesday, August 27. Giving as a way of sharing. After his conversion, the Apostle Paul took up the mission to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. The success God gave him raised significant questions about the relationship between the Jewish roots of the emerging Christian faith and the new Gentile followers of Jesus. A council of Jewish and Gentile Christian leaders met in Jerusalem to discuss the matter and seek God's guidance in relation to these complicated questions. The meeting and its outcomes are recorded in Acts chapter 15. However, in Paul's report of this meeting found in Galatians 2, he adds another important element to the instructions he received from the Jerusalem council for his continuing ministry among the Gentiles. Galatians 2.10 All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. And Paul continued to pursue his focus personally. See, for example, Acts 20, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And throughout his ministry, like the early church in Jerusalem, Paul expanded the vision of the Christian community to embrace all fellow believers. 
question, read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 through 15. How does Paul link the gospel and giving generously? 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but that now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Paul also drew on two Old Testament references to urge the believers to generosity and care for their fellow believers in difficult circumstances. He cited the story of God's generous provision of manna to the Israelites in the wilderness as a model of giving and sharing among the wider Christian community. As we read in verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. He also quoted from Psalm 112 verse 9, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honour. And in 2 Corinthians 9.9 it's quoted, They have freely scattered their grifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Paul urged his readers to be intentional about giving, to put aside regularly a portion of their income so that it would be easy to give when he or Titus visited their church to collect their offerings and deliver them to the Christians in need in Jerusalem. He used the example of one church to encourage other churches to similar generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, Paul wrote, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So to finish the day, how should we prioritize giving when we are unable to give to every cause or need presented to us. Wednesday, August 28, Paul's Guide to Living and Loving Well. 
Paul's letter to the Romans is best known for its in-depth explanation of the great doctrine of salvation by faith through the death of Christ. But, after eleven chapters of such teaching, there is a change of emphasis. Paul offers a practical guide to living and loving well, based on the grace and love of God as revealed in Jesus and the Gospel story. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In effect... Paul is saying that because of what God has done for us in Jesus, this is how we should live. Question, read and summarise mentally Romans chapter 12, particularly noticing the instructions to love and care for others, especially those in need. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, in teaching. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. And he who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
In a sense, Romans 12 acts as a summary of many of the topics Paul gives more detailed attention to in some of his other letters. He talks about the different roles and gifts within the church body, including serving and encouraging others, and giving generously, as we read in verses 3 to 8. But not only should these things be done, they should be done well with enthusiasm, and above all, with love, as we read in verses 9 to 11. Paul describes in practical terms what this kind of life is about. He urges the believers to be patient in difficulties and persecution, to care for the needy, to be peacemakers, wherever and whenever possible, and, as we've seen previously, to respond to evil and injustice with kindness, overcoming evil by doing good, as we read in verses 20 and 21. This chapter outlines what it means to live as a new person, serving God individually and as part of the community of faith. Paul told these new followers of Jesus that their lives, priorities and actions should be changed because of their response to what Jesus has done for them by his death on the cross and the hope of eternal life. Living as they were in an oppressive and often cruel society in the heart of the Roman Empire, Paul instructs them to live differently. In verse 2 he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so to finish today, what are some attitudes and practices you need to resist in your community to help you live and love well as a follower of Jesus today? Thursday, August 29. James the Just. Christian traditions suggest that James, the brother or stepbrother of Jesus, became a leader of the early church in Jerusalem and was the James who acted as chairman for the Jerusalem Council, uh, as we see in Acts chapter 15. And we'll read the whole chapter here, Acts 15, beginning at verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who believed, rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe.' 
So God, who knows the heart and acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles the elders and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from among us have troubled you with words, unsettled your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good for the Holy Spirit, and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. Then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So now we read Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him fifteen days." But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And... They glorified God in me. And now Galatians chapter 2. Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also took Titus with me, 
and I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why? do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But... If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If so, it is likely that he was the author of a letter preserved in the Bible as the book of James. James was a common name at the time. But if these were the same person, he also may have been the church leader known as James the Just, which suggests a wise leader who properly prioritised his treatment of others and cared for those often forgotten or downtrodden. 
The book that bears his name has been described as the New Testament's Book of Proverbs, focused on practical godliness and living wisely as followers of God. The author of James was anxious to remind his Christian readers to not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says, James 1 verse 22, and that the religion that matters, that is pure and lasting in God's sight, is focused on caring for the needy and the oppressed and resisting the corrupting influences of the society around them, as we read in James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Question. Read James chapter 2 verses 1 to 9 and chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. How is James's attitude toward those who are rich different from that commonly held in most societies? What are his particular instructions regarding how rich and poor are to be treated within the church community? James 2, beginning at verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. And James chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up a treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. James argues that wishing someone well, even wishing them God's blessing, will be of little comfort if they are suffering from cold and hunger. The provision of real food and clothing will be far more useful in expressing and demonstrating our concern for them than all the noble sentiments and good wishes, as we read in James two, fourteen to 16 What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, 
but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? James uses this as an example of the interaction between faith and works in the context of our relationship with God. He also repeats in verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you do well. What Jesus taught about loving your neighbour as yourself, showing how this commandment is to be obeyed in daily life. It is lived out in service to God and to others, not to earn salvation, but because it is the manifestation of true faith. So to finish the day, why is it so easy, even subconsciously, to prefer the rich over the poor? Friday, August 30. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 640, we read, The Saviour has given his precious life in order to establish a church capable of caring for sorrowful, tempted souls. A company of believers may be poor, uneducated and unknown, yet in Christ they may do a work in the home, the neighbourhood, the church and even in the regions beyond, whose results shall be far-reaching as eternity. And from the Acts of the Apostles, page 344, Unselfish liberality threw the early church into a transport of joy, for the believers knew that their efforts were helping to send the gospel message to those in darkness. Their benevolence testified that they had not received the grace of God in vain. What could produce such liberality but the sanctification of the Spirit? In the eyes of believers and unbelievers, it was a miracle of grace. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. How can your church community become more like the one described in the first few chapters of the book of Acts? What might be some practical steps your church leadership could take to encourage the church in this direction? 2. The Seventh-day Adventist Church Worldwide uses some of the principles discussed in this week's study to dictate how tithes and offerings are shared between different parts of the world. What are the benefits of this kind of system of worldwide resource sharing? 3. Are instructions for living, such as those summarised in Romans 12, for example, realistic, practical ways to live? Do they work in the real world? Or do they feel more like idealised pictures for stained-glass window saints? And question 4, James 5, 1-5, which you read earlier in the lesson, uses strong language that echoes the type of harsh warnings given by the Old Testament prophets. Why is such strong expression appropriate and necessary? And so to summarise this week's lesson... Spurred by Jesus' commission and the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples and the early believers set out to share the message and mission of Jesus as widely as possible. 
Drawing from the teachings of Jesus and the Hebrew Scriptures, the members of the early church formed a new kind of community, sharing what they had with those in need, both within and beyond their community. By their example and their teaching recorded in their letters to these churches, the first Christian leaders urged the believers to lives of faithfulness and service, particularly to those in need. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Finish Father's Forgiveness and it's by Sakari Fekavuri. Finland was mired in a bloody civil war in 1918. The Reds, mainly comprised of the working class, were locked in conflict with the Whites, mostly from the middle and upper classes. My great-grandfather, Victor Stahlberg, pleaded with his son, my great-uncle, Vino Stahlberg, not to join the white troops. Victor, who had joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church three years earlier, quoted the words of Jesus in Matthew 29.56, For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Please, my son, do not take off with your friends to join the army, he said. But Vino felt a strong urge to fight for what he believed, and he left home under the darkness of night. He met friends on the ice-covered Gulf of Finland early one Sunday morning. Almost immediately, red soldiers seized Vino and the others. It later emerged that a housemaid who had fallen in love with Vino had revealed his plans to a red sympathiser, who in turn had tipped off the Red Army. That night, the young men were put on a horse-drawn sleigh, and two armed red soldiers drove them back onto the frozen Gulf of Finland. The soldiers cut a hole in the ice and ordered the prisoners to stand in a row. Vino refused and was shot dead on the spot. Then three more young men were killed. Two tried to escape and were shot dead. After that, a second group of prisoners fell. As the two soldiers chased them, one of the prisoners, who had pretended to be dead near the ice hole, fled for freedom. He told others what had happened. Back in the gulf, the Reds threw the bodies of the dead into the ice hole. Vino's father, Victor, and the rest of the family mourned for days. After some time, the Whites gained the upper hand as the 1918-1920 Civil War wound down. They captured ten Red prisoners and decided to execute them in revenge for the death of Vino and his friends. Victor grabbed his Bible and hurried to the hilltop execution site. Now this slaughtering is enough, he declared. You cannot kill any Reds for my son's lost life, not one. As he preached on the hill, the cycle of revenge was broken and the lives of the Red soldiers were spared. Among those ten Reds were the two sons of a local blacksmith. Seeing his son saved, the joyful blacksmith started to read the Bible and joined the Adventist church. And it says at the bottom, God also has blessed the family of Victor, pictured left. Eight family members have served as Adventist pastors, including me and Vino's brother, Toivo Siljavaria, a 
public evangelist who baptized more than 1,500 people. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.